Good luck, Mom. I couldn't imagine a better person to host a podcast. This is Kevin Cody, Roxanne's husband, and wishing her luck and the start of her new podcast, Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody. And I think it's going to be great fun for her listeners because she can offer a view of the book world um, that goes past the pages of the book. She's a real pro at it. And I think everybody is going to have, be in for a real treat with Roxanne doing the show. So good luck, honey, and have fun with it. My name is Roxanne Cody, and I'd like to welcome you to my brand new podcast called Just the Right Book. The idea of our podcast will be creating a contagious enthusiasm for the written word. I think of reading as a sensory pleasure. I think of it as an opportunity for discussion and conversation and discovery. I am very honored uh, to have on my first show Amy Bloom. Amy is an award-winning, best-selling author and, most importantly, a friend. Her book, Lucky Us, is now out in paperback. It's been called Rambunctious, Delicious. It's a New York Times bestseller, which named one of the best books of the year by the Washington Post. I'm usually the interviewer, but for this episode, Amy's going to interview me. So at this time, I will turn it over to Amy. And Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to see you. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that the listeners are going to get to know Roxanne Cody. (laughs) Well, we'll see. (laughs) For me, when you walk into your bookstore, when you walk into R.J. Julia, one of the things that I'm always conscious of is that there aren't enough bookstores like yours, Mm. that there aren't that many places between New York and Boston, for example, that a writer can go and give a reading and also feel surrounded by friends and supporters of whatever the book is. Mm. I think probably a lot of people don't know how you got started in the bookstore business because you were not born a bookstore (laughs) owner. When you when you're eight and say you want to be a fireman or a doctor or a policeman, there aren't many people who say, "Oh, when I grow up, I want to own a bookstore." And why did you? So I had been in New York in the finance world for about twenty years. I was turning forty, and in turning forty, I was married, didn't have a child, and thought, you know what? There ought to be the opportunity to do something that really speaks to your heart. I'd been spending a lot of years on what spoke to my head. And thought, well, you know what, if you can't take a chance when you're 40, you never can. I thought a little bit about, should I try to start a publishing company? Should I have a bookstore? But the reason I picked the bookstore over over publishing is I've always been interested in conversation and the power of conversation. And it struck me that bookstores could become sort of the town green, the place where conversations could take place. And yes, you would sell books, but the idea of the third place of the town green really appealed to me. And I thought right from the get-go, I envisioned the bookstore as being a place that people would gather and want to talk about things like books. Although the bookstore that I used to buy all my books at was called Books on the Common. It was up in Ridgefield, Connecticut. And Bob, uh, who owned it, was very upset when he heard I was opening a bookstore because he had learned it was a fool's errand. And he said, do you think, Roxanne, that you're going to be spending all day like talking about Proust? You're not. Here's what you're going to be talking about. 
is this the only gift wrap you've got? <laughs> Which was not true, but is a little true. So when you came upon the space for your bookstore mm-hmm. where you could see people talking, was it already a bookstore and you walked into a turnkey operation or did you have to start from the ground up designing the kind of space you thought a bookstore should be? What happened was uh, there was an it wasn't abandoned, but it was like a pretty decrepit building on the Boston Post Road in Madison. Downstairs, it had been a bar and grill, just like this sort of sorry building. To me, it was perfect. It meant that I had the opportunity to create this from scratch. Everything that I dreamed a bookstore could and should have, including a little room that's literally called the room of one's own, Mm -hmm. which is where in the early days we did all the author events. So I got to create it from nothing. So from nothing to where it is now, which is, I would say, one of the most influential independent bookstores in the country, are there things that have surprised you about owning the bookstore, things that have turned out differently than you would have thought, better, worse? Mm -hmm. I would say that the good parts are better than I imagined, and the bad parts were worse because you're running a business. Mm -hmm. You're running a business with employees and financial worries and bills to be paid. And, you know, I always say to start a business, you have to be capable of designing the toilet and cleaning it. So you have had Zadie Smith and also Kate Hudson. And I wonder if you feel that it's been hard or taken a long time to build up this roster of writers of all kinds, all of whom want to come and read at this bookstore. You know, I think authors and publishers have been such gracious partners. The amount of goodwill, the amount of real commitment to creating more readers, exciting people, and energizing them. The store is 26 years old. We've got five-year-olds who are now raising five-year-olds, and they will come in the store and tell stories about when they were five and how it informed their raising their kids. So I think it's been a what would be called a good conspiracy by everybody wanting to accomplish the same thing. So I feel we've worked hard, we've been lucky, and we've been the recipient of a lot of generosity on the part of writers and publishers and agents and everybody that's become a friend of R.J. Julius. So now you're going on to something that seems to me to be a very different kind of venture. In this podcast that you're developing, it's not about selling books, Mm. and um, it's... It's so much more of the kind of conversation that you've been interested in all along, but it also seems to me to be a bigger conversation. And so I was wondering a little bit about your aspirations for this podcast. So here's my hope for the podcast. I obviously think of the world of books as like the best thing going. And I think about it that way because I do believe that books can change life. Mm -hmm. Creating a kind of enthusiasm for the world of books is my prime purpose. So what I imagine is, A, talking about books that I think would be fun for people to know about. Talking to authors in a way that not only talks about their books, but where they're coming from, what their enthusiasms are, what their worries are. I I just think people are interesting, and I particularly like the subset of people called authors. I also think it's fun to understand how the industry works. 
you know, what are publishers thinking? What are literary agents thinking? What are they worrying about? How do they figure out that they're going to publish a book? Or why are they picking that jacket? Or why are they picking French flaps? Or why are they picking that font that makes you know, all the ingredients that make a book work. So what I'm excited about is bringing the whole world of books. I think the kind of quick pace, the kind of fun information that makes most people excited about reading. And if I had a like a big aspiration, if I had the, it would be to get even more people excited about doing more reading and understanding how much that could add to their life. Yeah, I feel like part of what you would like to do is sort of really give people this this great ride into the world of books. I like that. I like that term. I'm going to steal that term, Amy. Anything I, <laughs> anything I have is yours. Um, I know that one of the things that you are going to ask your guests, because it's one of your favorite subjects and it's your book, is what is the book that changed your life? I have to say I have always wanted to ask you the same thing. Is there a book that changed your life? So the answer to that is when I was in sixth grade, we lived in Hartford, and uh, there was a library right on the corner of Albany Avenue and Blue Hills Avenue in Hartford, Connecticut. And I had to get my parents' permission to go to the adult section of the library to take out an adult book. And then I sort of started alphabetically to go through the section. But the book I picked up, so you'll realize I went backwards, I'm left-handed, so that would make (laughs) sense, was a book that had just come out pretty recently called Exodus by Leon Uris. So Exodus is about the founding of Israel. It was a big, huge, fat book. I don't know how many pages it was. But what I loved about it, it was the first book that I read that had an epic quality to it, right? I'd been reading kids' books, which were fun. And I obviously, I was always a reader, but this was epic. This had the founding of a nation. It had sex, love affairs, war, philosophical issues. And it made me understand the breadth of what reading could do. So it wasn't so much that Exodus the book changed my life in in terms of its story. But the idea of all the things that a book could deliver took my passion for reading and just put it on steroids. And so I often think of that being the book that changed my life for that reason. It's so interesting because it is the experience of truly being elsewhere. Yeah. And, and you know, Amy, it's funny. I hadn't thought about this for a long time. When you say it's about the experience. So my parents are both immigrants. And when I was little, they read to me and one of my sisters and they did not speak English. So they read to me phonetically. Right. And they and what they always bought because we didn't have money at the time were golden books, which were a nickel or a dime. I don't remember how much they were. And we lived in New York uh, then. Uh, off of 207th Street. And my parents had no idea what they were reading to me. And I spoke some English, but I spoke Hungarian. And so we didn't even know what we were reading. (laughs) Yet it developed a love of reading. I mean, my mother would read words like K-N-O-W as Kano. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we we sort of were like going along. (laughs) Yet 
it created a love of reading. What matters is that process of turning the black mark on the white page into something that is said from one person to another. Exactly. And Ken Oletta wrote an article once for The New Yorker saying, since the Gutenberg Bible, people have been talking about the decline of the book. But I think that we are at such a crossroads now of thinking of technology providing all the answers to what we need, that it is a crucial time for us to impart on parents and children that this thing, this beautiful thing called a book, has not only the importance that it's always had, but probably is more deserving of attention now as a respite, as an antidote, as a other place that creates uh, solitude and thinking in a way that's very hard to find. What other kinds of conversations do you see us having on this podcast? Well, I think the fact that all these books cover all these topics give us an opportunity to talk about any damn thing we want to talk about mm-hmm. because that books cover it all whether it's about the new book about the impact of smartphones on how we operate, whether it's a book uh, like Colson Whitehead's uh, Underground Railroad about the role of who's allowed to write about what. Do we have the right to uh, be person A and talk about person B? I think about all the information that all those books have, which means we can talk about new plants or new presidents or culture, anything. And I feel like the podcast is going to be able to do that. I can't think of anything that I don't think we can talk about. Well, that's going to be a a big field with a bright light. And I think that's a great way to approach it. Everything comes under the light and nothing is out of bounds. Yeah. And how fun. And I think increasingly we need places for civil discourse, which is what I've always seen happen in the bookstore. You know, we we've had thousands and thousands of author events at the bookstore or author lists events and book club discussion. And I have never once seen uncivil discourse. I think there's something about the temple of books that encourages a kind of civility in people. And I'm hoping there'll be the opportunity on the podcast to have real differences of opinion with people, but the ability to really listen to each other about what those other points of view are. I look forward to that. Civil, sharp, (laughs) only a few elbows thrown and everything under the sun. I think it'll be good. Well, thanks, Amy. And thanks for being uh, my very, very first guest. So, of course, I have to ask you a couple of questions. What are you working on now? I'm working on a novel about Eleanor Roosevelt and her... My idol. ...romantic partner, Lorena Hickok, who was, when they fell in love, the number one female reporter in the United States. And when she was the first woman to have a byline in the New York Times. And she was, in her own way, in her own world, a very big deal. And it's really the story of them coming together in a torrid romance and then becoming friends and this long, long relationship that lasted from 1932 until Eleanor Roosevelt died in the 60s and thousands and thousands of letters between them. But my focus is not on the letters. It's on the relationship, the love, the loss, and the change to what I think Lorena describes as the suburbs of romance, which is the friendship afterwards. Mm. 
And when will we be able to read this book? God willing. Um, <laughs> sometime in 2017. He's helping you with the book? She, 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 she is. is helping you she with the book. She is helping me with the book, and um, I think probably late 2017. Great. Well, I can't wait. Like, I love all your books. And what's the book that changed your life, darling? I think for me, the book that really changed my life was probably A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, mm. which I read when I was the age of the protagonist. Yeah, me too. I wept. I wept at the death of her alcoholic father. And I remember just feeling both that I understood more than I had really wanted to understand about who he really was, and I also felt what she felt. Have you reread it? I have. I reread it just two weeks ago. And what was your reaction to rereading it? I would say it holds up. You know, because as you were talking about it, it had a riveting effect on me. Uh, You know, I think probably lots of us who read it uh, then... But I haven't reread it. And I'm not a big rereader of books, but I've often thought about rereading books and how that informs you for what was going on then in the world or in your life and whether there are right books for the right age. Oh, I think there absolutely are. I would rather, as an adult, reread A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. You'd have to put a gun to my head to make me reread Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. That was the perfect book for me then. I don't ever want to reread it. It's the way I feel about a purple miniskirt. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. (laughs) What about the white boots? Yeah. Also the way, (laughs) you know, that was great. I don't want that happening anywhere near me now. You know, I find even, I put down a lot of books these days without finishing them. But I create another spot on the nightstand, so to speak, for books that I think I will want to come back to, but they're not right for that moment. And magically, I'll end up picking them up a year later, five years later, two minutes later, whatever, and it's perfect. It is so intangible what it is that attracts you to a book, even within the same age. Absolutely. It's it's often not a reflection on the book itself. It's, right. You. It's because that's such an intimate relationship. It's a partnership. So, Amy, I'm I'm a little bummed that we have to end this conversation. So you're going to have to make a promise. Okay. You have to make a promise that you'll come back on a lot. I would be happy to. I can't <laughs> say no to you. Thanks so much, Amy. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I'll see you soon. Many thanks to Amy Bloom for being my very first guest on Just the Right Book. And please make sure to subscribe to Just the Right Book podcast on iTunes. Email us at info at justtherightbookpodcast.com. We'd love to hear what you are reading or want us to talk about. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Collisions, podcast for curious people. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Also, thanks to our producer, Christina Torres, and our sound engineer, Pat Keogh. Thank you all for listening.